for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaan Bound Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Philip Wells, and this is episode number 99. We begin this week with a Bible truth. Bible truths. Question 2. What is meant by God's grace? We've all heard of a grace period, when we have extra time to complete a task or make a payment. Grace is also like someone doing you a favor without you asking them to do it. In love, God redeemed everyone through the death of Jesus on the cross. We did not ask for salvation in this way, but it was the way that God chose to save us, and it is called grace. God did us a favor that we didn't deserve. Can this favor ever be repaid? Never. Can we do anything greater than what Jesus has done for us? No way. He gave up his glory in heaven to become fully human like us, to live like us, to die like we will, and then raised himself from the dead so that we could also rise from the dead to live eternally with him. He could have stayed in heaven and left us to our destiny of eternal damnation, but he didn't. The reason is that he loves us too much to let us suffer eternally. Is there anyone who could love you more than this? Absolutely not. This is amazing grace. Christians thank God for his amazing grace and trust him when he tells us that we are saved by grace alone through faith and not by our own doing. What peace and joy Christians have knowing that they cannot earn heaven, it is a gift from God. God's word on grace from the NIV. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. John chapter 1, verse 16. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Bible truth cards were developed by the elders of St. Mark's Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Bemidji, Minnesota in 2014. Next, Martin Luther College Choir sings God So Loved the World from the album O God Our Help.
And now we join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 33, verses 1 to 18. But now, Job, listen to my words. Pay attention to everything I say. You know, we're in chapter 33, and this is the first time in the book that anybody's called Job by his name. Did the poet include this specifically to draw our attention to Elihu's manner of speaking? The significance could be one of two things. Elihu wants to apply the truth to Job a little more carefully and personally than others had managed to do. Or Elihu, a younger man, uses Job's name rather than his title and betrays a little arrogance and maybe insolence. Maybe Elihu just has bad manners. And maybe both things are intended by the poet. I'm not sure. But Elihu has more than one side, although it might be going too far to call him complex. Verses 2 to 7. I am about to open my mouth. My words are on the tip of my tongue. My words come from an upright heart. My lips sincerely speak what I know. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me then, if you can. Stand up and argue your case before me. I am the same as you in God's sight. I, too, am a piece of clay. No fear of me should alarm you, nor should my hand be heavy on you. Oh, Elihu is finally going to get on with it, but but it's taken him 29 verses to say, I'm about to start talking. Yet notice the elegance of his rhetorical device in calling himself a piece of clay in verse 6. Job had said this earlier in chapter 10, and Isaiah picked it up and ran with it. He said, we are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Of course, what Isaiah said was poetry. What Elihu is saying here is just, well, verse. Verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. But you have said in my hearing, I heard the very words, I am pure, I have done no wrong, I am clean and free from sin, yet God has found fault with me, he considers me his enemy. He fastens my, sh- my feet in shackles, he keeps close watch on all my paths. Elihu has gone a little too far here. Job never said that he was clean and free from sin. He simply asserted that no sin of his was responsible for all his troubles. In fact, the word haf, clean, doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible at all, let alone in Job. We know that it means clean and pure because it's connected to the free from sin line in the same verse. Also, the verb huf, to wash, occurs in the the language Syriac. And a similar word, hapu, to clean, occurs in the Akkadian language. Let's look at verses 12 to 14. But I tell you, in this you are not right, for God is greater than any mortal, Why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words? For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. Now here Elihu has introduced the fact that God speaks to mankind. We shouldn't dismiss this statement too quickly as being obvious. Of course, we know that God speaks to us in his word, the scriptures. We have had the complete text of the Bible for 2,000 years, but believers before us did not have all of the books of the Bible that we love and read. Let's take James, the brother of the Apostle John, as an example. James was one of the Lord's own disciples and part of the inner circle of three special disciples, something like David's mighty men in 2 Samuel 23. And yet James was murdered by the Jews before any of the New Testament was written. Let's take the prophet Isaiah as another example. Isaiah was murdered by King Manasseh before the Babylonian exile took place. Isaiah 
did not know about any of the books that were written after his time, the book of Jeremiah or Chronicles or Ezra or Lamentations or Ezekiel or most of the minor prophets or or Daniel or Nehemiah, Esther. They were all unknown to him. Let's take King Saul for another example. Saul was killed in the battle of Mount Gilboa before the birth of Solomon. Saul's Bible contained the five books of Moses, Joshua, maybe the account of the judges, and he had heard some of David's psalms, to which he had sometimes responded with violence, and some of them were composed specifically to help him. But before him, men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and of course Job, didn't have any of the books written even by Moses. It is into this scene that Elihu introduces this confident assurance, God does speak. But in the time of Job, how did God speak? Well, Elihu is going to bring up three different kinds of communication from God before any of the Bible was written down. The first way is through dreams and visions, verses 15 to 18. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. Verse 18 ends with a difficult term, shala, shaft. Maybe the idea is a person might perish by the shaft of a sword, or better, the shaft of an arrow or spear, but it's not the same term as in First Chronicles 25 for arrow. But since the phrase is parallel to from the pit, it might be better to understand this phrase as a reference to the shaft or canal leading from the grave to the place of the dead, Sheol. Such a shaft is present in images in Phoenician tombs. This word seems to be related to the familiar word siloa or siloam in the New Testament, a canal-fed pool in Jerusalem where Jesus healed a man. But Elihu presents dreams as a means of God giving warnings to his people. Notice that Elihu doesn't call dreams a judgment, but a warning. God spoke to the patriarchs many times through dreams, sometimes giving a second dream to verify or to show the importance of the message. This happens especially with dreams Joseph had and interpreted for others. God doesn't promise to speak to us in dreams today, although we can't say that this never takes place. If you have received a dream from God, count it as a blessing, but we all should remember that God has sent us a vast, wonderful, saving message, his holy word, the Bible. This is the word that tells us about our Savior, Jesus. This is the word that gives us eternal life. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. And now we take a moment with the Master, with Pastor Aaron Nitz. Hello, welcome. The portion of God's word that I'd like to take a look at with you is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. They read, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what relationships do you value in life? The one you have with your spouse, your children, your family, your friends, your co-workers? Well, how about this one? the one you have with your triune God. How much do we value that one? Remember, he's the almighty creator of everything. 
He alone knows all things. He alone is present in every place. He alone has all the power everywhere to do whatever. He alone can be three but one. He far surpasses our human comprehension. So how's our relationship with him? Remember, he's been there every time we've purposely sinned. He knows every shameful thought, every careless word, every detestable deed we've ever done. There's ever every reason that my relationship with him should be hostility, hatred, enemies. And on my own, that's exactly the way it would be. But by God's grace, it's not. Notice what Jesus said. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the powerful washing of baptism, God made you his own. He wrote his name on you, showing that you are special and valuable to him. He doesn't want to lose you. In your baptism, you were made God's own child, redeemed, washed, and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So you're a dearly loved child of the awesome and almighty triune God. That's a relationship to value and treasure. Amen. We close out our episode this week with a song called The Maker by The Divers from their album Walkies in the Park.
You have been listening to Canaan Podcast, episode number 99. This podcast was first shared in March of 2015. We would like to thank the artists featured on the show this week for sharing their music with us. Find links to their music and more at CanaanBoundPodcast.com. We encourage you to visit Wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening. God bless your week.